Hello and welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows. One of the shows that we have up on air, online, seven days a week, in one of two formats. I'm always looking for another way to say that, but... uh, Uh, Yeah, I'll try that for a while. Uh, Here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. I swallowed one of the uh, last syllables there. Um, The two formats basically are a, uh, you know, and you'll see them there. The, the, The links will be waiting for you there when you go to the homepage. The standard, your standard, uh, you know, uh, format of course the the uh, the the podcast which we have sitting there you're probably listening to us via that format right now you may be uh, we've noticed more and more people going back towards the podcast but we still leave available to you the radio loop which essentially is this show running on a loop in a loop on a separate computer here in the studio that basically allows you to pick it up at whatever point in the loop it happens to be when you hit the link that takes you to the radio loop and, and you get to experience it in an analogish sort of way. Kind of the, geez, I wonder what this will be way in which you would approach, uh, might have approached, maybe still approach radio shows uh, talk radio shows. That's what the radio loop gives you. A little bit of a, a, a jolt of, uh, of analogishness. Uh, and there are a number of people who prefer that. We leave it that way. It's no big problem for us to do it. We've been doing it for quite some time now. I think we're just about the only uh, talk show organization that gives you those two choices. And we're, and we're pleased to do so. So welcome to the show. It is the 21st of October. It is a Friday, and I'm pleased to say that David Bach will be with us in the second segment of the show, which gives me time to uh, sort of set up my thought processes. And without really knowing what David will be saying about his own, I like doing it that way. It's, uh, we, we surprise one another on Friday. It makes it all the more interesting. But needless to say, David is prepared for whatever it is he wants to say and uh, never has any great problem saying it, quite fortunately. So that's later in the show. For now, uh, so many different places that we could start off here. I, 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 I have to start uh, with the UK. Um, this is just, just for a number, a number of reasons. And... and, and well, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'll, the, 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 the thing that's driving me towards the UK is my affiliation with the Indian culture. As you may know, I'm married to, to a northern Indian woman. And the first thing that is sort of on the plate right now this is just, you know, this is the, uh, an observation of a white guy basically uh, looking from the outside in. But I'm, I'm kind of an inside outsider, if you will, as far as Indian culture goes. After a few decades, you're, you're sort of on the inside, too. 
the first thing that you notice, or that I've been noticing of late, uh, is the a push here in the states. Before we get before we get to the UK, a push here in the states uh, to make Diwali a national holiday, or no, sorry, a, a New York holiday or a national holiday. It's in New York, so it may it may be. Well, there's a push to make it a federal holiday. I, it's, it's, it's beginning here in New York. I don't know exactly how the politics are working or who's pushing what. But what I'm hearing on newscasts is we'd like to see Diwali being a national holiday. Now, yes, the spelling, Indians know. Indians writing this in English, not, not in Hindi but writing it in English letters, will spell it D-I-W-A-L-I. But no one says Diwali. Nope, nope, that, that, no one, no one. No one from any part of India, and there are many different languages spoken in India, and there's all different kinds. No one says Diwali. No, we say Diwali. And, and the W sound is kind of a, a mixture of a V and a W. Diwali, Diwali, Diwali. It, it, it's a V, it's more a V than a W. Now, that would make me think that we should, and again, this is an unspoken rule that Indians, people of, of South Asian heritage, know that when they see the spelling D-I-W-A-L-I, that W is pronounced like a V. Well, there's plenty of words in English that have letters that are pronounced differently than what you would think of as the natural pronunciation of the letters. Forget about words with G-H in them and things like that. P-H, okay, all that stuff. Diphthongs will make you crazy, uh, which itself is a diphthong, uh, when you are pronouncing English. But here we are adding yet another. Well, this is the second big mistake uh, pronunciation. This is, and this, this goes, this is the British link, by the way. We're, we'll find our way back into London in a moment, the politics there. But the British, when they were in India, seemed to take an odd pleasure in, during the Raj period of mispronouncing stuff just brutally, brutalizing the, 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 you know, Hindi generally, simply because they could. It, 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 it seemed to be sort of a badge of honor among the ruling class to d diminish their, the people who were being ruled by diminishing their language. So mispronouncing Hindi became sort of the thing to do. Now, was it simply because the British couldn't pronounce uh, Hindi words, or was there a conscious effort to screw things up? I don't know. But we're watching something like this play out, and there's a precedent for this particular screw-up that I'm seeing right now. That was with the pronunciation that Americans have for the most popular type of rice eaten in India and what has become the most popular rice if you're making an Indian meal. Frankly, in my house, it's the rice we use for everything all the time. If you ask an American, uh, without any connection to India or Indian families, uh, 
to pronounce B-A-S-M-A-T-I, they will most likely come back with basmati. There is no such thing as basmati. There is something called basmati. Okay? Different, three-syllable word. The difference is the pronunciation, is the accent, the stress on the second syllable. That's the way Americans are doing it. Not knowing anything else, reading the word, someone would probably accent it on the second syllable, basmati. But the proper pronunciation, and it's not a hard pronunciation. There's no, there's no sounds that you have to learn. There's no difference. It's Basmati, the accent is on the first syllable. So why the hell aren't we all saying basmati? I mean, and, and uh, does it sound, you know, he doth, the man doth complain it too much? I, it, it's just a quirky, odd thing. And I've, and I've tried to figure this one out. Is it a function of Indian Americans not wanting to, and, and there has been within the Indian community for a long time, until, until quite recently, the tendency was to kind of maintain a lower profile. That's all changed, I'd say, in the last 10 years. But there has also been all of this history of, of the Raj and everything else, with the older folks especially, some who might still remember living under the British, and remember, you'd have to be around from before 1947 for that. So you're not, you know, you're no teenager at this point. But it's in the culture. It's still within the community to sort of allow misconceptions or mispronunciate. Let it go. You just kind of, oh, let them do it. It's, it's just the way it is. I ask myself, why? What is it within the Indian mindset? And I haven't heard any Indians. This, this, this is the other thing. I don't hear Indians complaining about the mispronunciation of basmati, basmati. I see it in commercials on TV. It's, 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 been, it's been done over and over. It is being, the mispronunciation is repeated again and again and again. And no, this is not a proper pronunciation. Anyone could have told any producer doing any commercial for this kind of thing, unless, of course, it happens to be a commercial on a specific Indian channel, and most of those are being beamed out of India anyway. Some, there are a few here in the States, and then you'll hear the words pronounced correctly. But why the tolerance for a mispronunciation of a word that'll be used quite a bit because a lot of people use rice and it's out there a lot. There's something in the Indian uh, psyche and something in the history that Indians have experienced, which basically suggests this is a, this is a small one compared to other possible things. And I think it's something that Indians I, I, I question myself. I say, is this something that they should get over? Allowing, allowing another mispronunciation 
of another word, another name. Is this some, is this a slippery slope of sorts? Is it, is it something that other cultures have experienced here in America, watching their words and their languages kind of get, get messed up uh, by, by, by some kind of a vernacular uh, weirdness that allows for mispronunciation, and you kind of let it go because it's drifting into the culture. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. But I find it annoying that there isn't more of a reaction to the mispronunciation and the obvious mispronunciation and the obvious ability to, cor to correct that mispronunciation. There's no one out there. I've never heard an Indian respond by saying, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. That's basmati, not basmati. I will turn around and if there's a conversation where somehow it comes up, oh, yes, the recipe includes basmati. Excuse me, that's basmati. Oh, Will says the American person I'm talking to. Oh, oh, it's basmati. And okay, fine. And the rest of the conversation will go that way. And I'm sure I'm the only person on earth, or certainly the only person in New York, making that correction. But I just find it the right thing. Why, why should we permit mispronunciation of words that are otherwise easily correctly pronounced to permeate our language and our speech? Is this sort of um, acquiescence to the inevitability of, uh, of international uh, melding? Is this... I don't know. As I say, he doth he complain too much. Now, I, I promised you there was a, a UK connection to all that, besides the fact that there was once a Raj in India, and they mangled God knows how many personal names and words and everything else, and, and we've had jokes along these lines within the family, and every Indian family knows a few of the ridiculous things that were being said by members of the Raj, the, uh, the rulers, as it were. But, but in the UK right now, uh, there is turmoil, to say the least. The, uh, the current prime minister, <laughs> the former already prime minister, the, the fifth prime minister in six years, the fifth, I, believe, I think, no, were they all, were they all Tories? Were they all, I, I'm not sure, I, I, was, it as, was it during the transition from Labour to Tory? But there have been now, with the, with, the, with the resignation of Liz Truss yesterday, whose prime ministership lasted a world record, a British record, by a long shot, 45 days. With her recognition, there will have been, uh, uh, when, whenever they get around to appointing a new prime minister, five prime ministers in the space of six years. And I think, I think all of them were Tory, conservatives, the Tories. Now, this, this is a matter of some, it would have to be a matter of some confusion to American listeners here. I mean, how can you have five different prime ministers in the same party 
what is that party still doing being in a position to bring on more prime minister? If Boris Johnson just left in July and Liz Truss is leaving now in October and it's still the same party with a majority within the House of Commons, you know, the same MPs are out there. Why the hell hasn't there been a general election to decide which party is running the place? Unlike America, we don't vote, the British do not vote for the person running the country, for the prime minister directly. No, you vote for the prime minister's party. And then the party within its own apparatus brings about an election for the prime minister. In the case, in the recent cases where, well, with Liz Truss's situation, just like with Boris Johnson, once you've resigned, you stay on as sort of a, a, care a caretaker prime minister. You, you don't, your resignation is official as of that day, but you are staying on as a caretaker of government until a new prime minister can come and take over. In Truss's case, once Johnson was gone, well, within, within the parliament itself, there has to be a vote taken, and I think they need to have 100 members of the party. I forget. There's some kind of mathematics that go on here, some calculation, within MPs within their House of Representatives, as it were, must agree on a prime minister. And then, and then the vote for that person, the ultimate vote, then goes outward to the party faithful. In essence, registered um, uh, Tories, registered uh, members of the Conservative Party get to vote within the country. That's a much, much smaller number than the total registered number of voters in the UK. I think the number I heard is somewhere between one and 200,000 in total get to vote on who, on, on whether or not this new prime minister is acceptable. I don't think it's a slate like, okay, it's this one or here's the next one after that. I think it's an up or down vote on the choice being made by the sitting MPs within, within parliament. I, I, I could be wrong on that last point, but I think that's how it goes. But it's a very strange kind of a system. And yet the British have been doing it that way for quite some time. The, you are electing the party, not the individual. And, and there have been many instances uh, in recent years where, well, in recent decades, where it's been, geez, you know, if, why don't we consider a parliamentary system like that? Wouldn't that avoid the whole insanity with a Trump-type person? I mean, you know, Boris Johnson and his personal issues were minimal. They were on the... On the uh, is it even fair to say there were Trumpishnesses going on with Boris Johnson? There were a lot of personal issues... Trump was pure, abs Trump is pure absolute, you know, he's, he's chaos, he's, he's, he's every ugly thing, he's a mob boss, he's basically looking to take down the country, couldn't care less 
I don't ever put that on Boris Johnson. He was just basically a party boy and kind of getting, you know, he, he, he got over his skis a little bit too far. And he was also an intelligent man, something that you'll never hear Trump being accused of. Now, now here's the Indian connection going back. The front runner for prime minister, for the sixth prime minister in six years in the UK. Again, something that would be impossible for us to wrap our brains around here in America. Is a gentleman of Indian descent. You look at him, you know it, that's for absolute sure. And the guy's name is Rishi Sunak. Uh, I'm sure the British say Rishi Sunak. Uh, I've never heard the name Sunak. And, and I asked my wife, we were looking at, at, a, at a newscast earlier in the day, uh, try, well, much earlier in the day. It's already, it's only, uh, <laughs> it's still dark. <laughs> so it was quite early. Um, trying to figure out what part of India, and this is something that Indians do instantaneously. Every nationality, I think, especially first-generation people within a nationality, instantly try and say, well, when you hear a name, what part of the country is that from? And when you have an, a country as big and diverse as India, typically last names are, are, are an indication of location. But it sounds like in the case of this guy, Sunak, uh, this, there was a, a variation on the name, but you look at his face, and he is absolutely desi. He is of South Asian. He is an Indian. I gather from what uh, listening to him briefly and hearing him, he is an English-born uh, South Asian. And here you have the first time that a former... Or, or someone with the heritage of a former uh, subject state to the UK, basically being ruled directly by a, a Raj that essentially uh, diminished the rights and, and possibilities that any Indian had. You were within your own country a second-class citizen and subject to what initially were the trading requirements of the British East India Company, and then simply a overarching uh, controlling hand, which never had control of the whole country, by the way. The Raj incorporated roughly three-quarters of India, but, but there were definite parts of the country that were never under British control. But here you have the first Indian to basically take over the reins, or would appear as though he's about to take over the reins of government within the UK, a, a, a very different United Kingdom than the one that gave up control of India in 1947. And, and I, 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 I would not otherwise be sensitized to it, certainly not in the way I am, except that I am within an Indian community. I am part of that. Uh, we are on the verge of celebrating Diwali. Diwali is how we would say it. And the V and the W, if I want to really say it the way I, I try to say it correctly, Diwali. The, the W and the V kind of come together, but it is not Diwali. I promise you that. And we will definitely be having some basmati rice, not basmati. 
No one would know what that was, certainly not in, the, in my family. Uh, and, and, it, it, and there's an area, there's a, there's a sense of pride in the notion that uh, some guy, uh, a descendant, very probably, of people who were living under the Raj, now is taking over the descendant country of the one that at one time, or by the time the Raj ended, uh, the, the old, uh, the old so about, you know, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Well, the, sun, the same was true of the Spanish Empire and the Portuguese Empire as well at, at some point. But that was already uh, just about an inaccuracy then. Everything was kind of falling apart. Uh, in terms of the British uh, monarch, well, the, the, the hegemony over the planet, the Commonwealth was becoming uh, more of a titular thing as it has been for some time, recognizing the queen, now the king, as the, um, as the technical head of state, but of course maintaining your own laws and country and parliament. Just this connection with the UK, which... <laughs> had certain <laughs> trading advantages for other members of the Commonwealth. You may you basically being a Commonwealth member was more about what you had in common with other Commonwealth members, other than England itself, except with the big exception that you can freely travel or freely relocate to the UK if you are a citizen of a Commonwealth nation. <laughs> What changes they've gone through? The queen passing away after 70 plus years of ruling. Um, the, only, the only monarch that I was ever aware of, British monarch that I was aware of, and of course with America's very, very special connection with the UK, we being a former colony, a little, a little further back than 1947, I would suggest, but being a former colony, uh, and, and, and having gotten our freedom uh, a little more violently than the British ultimate, than the Indians themselves ultimately did, Mr. Mr. Gandhi and his salt marches and the protests, they would have never defeated the English on a field of battle. They weren't set up to do that. Too many of the, uh, of the, British, uh, the, the British soldiers, the main force, the main infantry of the British uh, in India consisted of sepoys, as they were called. These were the native Indians who had been uh, drafted into and inculcated into the British army and the British way of doing things and British loyalty. All of that was part of what the English did uh, to maintain their hegemony in England. It was, it was skillful, as, and as most successful empires uh, have uh, been, they learned how to do this well for the purpose of preserving their empire and maintaining control of foreign lands. And there were many uglinesses, and we've, uh, we have stories of them, in our family, but mostly it's the story of, well, the partition and, and, and really, really sad, ugly things that happened at that time. 
uh, analogies from that period to what happened when Marshal Tito uh, was no longer ruling all of the diverse groups and the ethnic uh, otherwise battling groups within what was Yugoslavia and all of the uh, murder and mayhem that followed his departure. The British, to some extent, can be credited with keeping the lid on what would have otherwise been uh, the almost automatic sectarian conflicts between Hindus and Muslims. And it's taken the Indians quite some time to basically work that out for themselves. During the partition in 1947, uh, famous stories uh, of, uh, of, of Muslims now who were living in the East going and finding their way to Pakistan and, and, uh, and East Pakistan. Well, there was West Pakistan and East Pakistan. It was, it was two large areas on the Northwest and the Northeast of in, the, the larger Indian continent. They'd never been separated and thought of as such before, but the, there were prim, uh, primarily Muslim populations in both those areas. And so most of the Muslims or many of the Muslims living in those areas, uh, in, in, the, in the central part of India, went outward and began moving towards the newly formulated state of East and West Pakistan. It was separated by uh, many, several thousand miles actually of India between the two. And simultaneously, Hindus that had been living in what was East and West Pakistan began going in the opposite direction, coming and moving in back into the main body of India. All of this because the British were leaving and the protections and the, 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 the lid tightening process that was represented by British rule, by the Raj, was instantly about to give way, and there are stories of horrible stories of things that happened during this partition period when people were moving back and forth. It's often pointed to as, you know, you need a strong hand and it helps to have an empire, blah, 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 blah. I, I don't know about that. I think there were enough negatives uh, as part of the Raj to basically uh, uh, not have to praise uh, some of the better things that were done in the first place. All they did basically was basically delay the period or delay the day where Indians would have to deal with their own issues. And largely, largely over the last 70 plus years have dealt with admirably. For all of their... Uh, difficulties and differences, the Indians, I, I, I have found over my decades within the community to be a resilient lot, an extremely resilient lot, uh, capable of, uh, of, of, of massive diaspora, the brain drain, the, the best of society, uh, beginning to drain out of the country, especially in the late 50s and early 60s, and continuing on for quite some time, decades, being highly educated under an exceptionally good educational system, public, public education system, but then finding very little in the way of adequate or com 
commensurate employment, commensurate to the training within India itself and basically going all over the bloody place, uh, a lot of it within the Commonwealth countries, but a huge diaspora uh, ending up here in the United States, part of which is the reason why I met my lovely bride, and uh, th th this, is, this is how these things work out. Um, I don't know that, that there's been... In, in the years, in the ensuing years, in the 70 plus years that India has existed, I don't know that there's been ever a question of undoing the country as it is. I, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm getting to here is looking to India and then back to America and saying, was there a point or is there a point in India? Has there been a point? Maybe I'm missing. Maybe it's going on right now. I don't think it is where people are questioning the very essence of the country, like a large part of America seems to be doing right now. And, 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 I, and I'm, 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 I have to mention something that I picked up just this morning. Uh, it was, uh, I was listening to MSNBC. Yes, 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 that's the lib, the lib station, yes, of course. Uh, and there was mention of a of polling being done uh, by a guy who's I, I I gotta get the name forgive me I don't have it in front of me but it's the name of a poll some guy's name and he primarily tracks satisfaction with various institutions in America how do people respond to what's what their country is doing, how things work in the country. And the point that was made this morning is that in the Midwestern part of the United States, not the Deep South, nope, in the Midwest of the United States, the polling that this organization did showed almost at the highest levels that this organization has ever found that there was a general dissatisfaction with virtually every component of American society, of work, of government, of religious institutions, of, of you name the institutions, of judiciary, of law, of, of the fairness in legals, every institution of consequence in people's lives was basically being looked at in a negative way. And I, I've never really thought, or I've, ne I've, never, I've never had it presented quite that way to me. And this is, this is over, you know, many thousands of square miles of, of American territory taking in a lot and lot of people. And, and the commentator on this was talking about the fact that, well, this is the former Rust Belt, and, and the explanation given when the data suggests that people are looking at their current situation in life and comparing it to where they were when the Rust Bowl, as it was called, 
the nation's rust area, the, the, the steel producing area, when it had the jobs and had the security and middle class people working in, 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 in industrial uh, situations had a life. And over the course of the last 25 or 30 years, through different presidencies and different parties, nothing really has happened to give these people some true sense that they are evolving out of their dependence on the life they had, and nothing that seems to be suggesting to people, again, generally, in the Midwest, and I'm, this is far too broad, and I need to see the data, but nothing seems to be suggesting to these people that there is a better life than the one probably their fathers or uncles or grandfathers knew, and they are reacting in kind, and they, they either project their dissatisfaction onto the institutions around them, or, in fact, the institutions around them are failing them insofar as they should, or under the assumption that the institutions should be doing more to make their lives better. So, so government, courts, uh, uh, basically their, their legislative situation, they're, they're in the, the, the industry within their areas, their religious institutions, nothing is giving them what they had or, or, or replacing or giving them hope of moving towards what they had before. Now, I'm going to draw a conclusion from that. And, and this wasn't said during this commentary this morning. If I have reduced faith or almost no faith, if, if, if I have a generally negative perception of all of the institutions that are supposed to be supporting my life and making my life better, giving me the American dream or giving me the ability to work towards having the American dream. If I don't believe in any of those institutions, that tells me two things, at least. A, I'm not living what I imagine the American dream to be or what I could compare to be the American dream, what, was, what came in a generation or so before me. And I don't have it, and I don't see it coming. I don't, I don't have faith, I don't have hope that what, what preceded me is something that I can move back towards. That's, that's on a personal, internalized level. And B, these institutions may in fact simply be failing people. Now, there's the perception, and then there's the objective reality. And the perception, of course, yes, that can be flavored by your community. It can be flavored by the people around you. Uh, we all have grievances. If you're, if you're a Trumpian, you, have, you live in the world of grievance. But the grievances are based in something. You have to have a grievance orientation to embrace the notion of grievance generally. So, so I always kind of leave that out there that there's, okay, 
there's a grievance orientation, and after a while, you know, grievance can be sort of self-fulfilling. And you know, you're not taking, you're not doing anything to 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 better yourself and everything. You're you've just embraced this whole grievance thing, and you'd rather be living in a state of grievance than actually having a better life. I don't know that that's true either. That I would rather, just for the sake of being bitching and moaning and hating them libs, I would rather have grievances than have a better life. Does that, does that make sense? Even, even if you're, a, if you, even if you're ideological, well, the word isn't even ideologically, if you're emotionally linked at the hip to Donald, do you really want to simply sustain your negative life or things getting worse just so you'll be able to complain about it? I, I don't think so. But that means that you have a whole swath of the country that doesn't believe in the dream or the hope or the, or the betterment that is supposed to be the byproduct of the American system that is just not working for these people. And if enough people feel that way about a system of government, well, history tells us that things can change. We felt that way back in, you know, in, in the late 18th century as the Enlightenment was coming along. We, we were looking for something better. I, I don't know that statistically the people in the Midwest who are responding to these surveys or, or who are just expressing a dissatisfaction with government and institutions of government and institutions of, of society generally, I don't know that they have a notion, at least it didn't come out in what I heard, of what it is they want to have replaced or how you would better these institutions, <coughs> excuse me, or what the replacement institutions would look like. In America, we, we, you know, when we, when we broke away from the British, we largely had a notion of being a self-governing group that basically would uh, have a nationhood for the first time and that we would uh, design our own laws, that, that we, 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 we were looking at a structure and of course, the, the, the founding fathers and the Constitution and, and what that structure looked like. I don't get that sense about people who are dissatisfied with America and people who I talk to here in the East who have the same thing. It's, it's not a here is what we want in its place. It's we, we're going to get rid of this. Let me, let me be specific about this. Let's get rid of this. And somehow we'll have something that will become better. There's no real notion that I get in talking to uh, real diehard Trumpian types, and I have a bunch of them in my family, and I have a bunch of them around here, and I, and I can talk to these people fairly openly. They, you know, there's, there's good faith. We'll, 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 we'll say what we think. I don't get any sense of what it is 
that needs to be replaced. It's a, it's a removal of things. It's take away the barriers. Take away what you have keeping us from being what we're supposed to be. It's what the other side has done to us. And we're in a country that already is a country and there seems to be a realization that you can't just bust it up into separate countries, but the grievance frustration cycle, at least the way it's verbalized, and I have to assume the verbalizing is the result of something that's felt pretty deeply, that, that seems to supersede this rational notion of, well, here is how we need to restructure. The no, that, that, that's not where this is going. It's not a let's restructure this for something better. Here, and here's how the structure should be. We, we, should have, we should have a parliamentary system. We should be electing the party, not the individual. Maybe that would work for some Republicans, provided that the party you elected was perpetually the Republican Party because it knows that demographically it's going in the wrong direction right now. It's not in sync with the American demographic, the same demographic that basically is bringing a Desi uh, into, or a, Desi, a person of Desi descent, Indian descent, is about to become prime minister. That same demographic is what we experience here in America. We keep, we've talked on several occasions over the years about the fact that within the next 20 or 25 years, I don't know when the magic moment comes, the average American will not be a person of two white parents. The average American will not have two white parents. That's coming within the next 20 years. It is psychologically a, a, a major change from, you know, where we started off. And, and it's an easy kind of a thing to, to, to latch on to. If you're looking for problems and you don't have actually a structural solution in mind, you have a de-structuring solution. And, and, and this is another reason why I'm concerned about what I see out there right now. Um, I, I'm, I'm concerned that there are not so much that Trump still hasn't been indicted, but there are enough people that are still willing to go along with the farce and the fantasy because the disappointment with the country is so endemic, it's so, it's so palpable to these people that, that perpetuating grievance is pretty much the, the emotional you know, sport of the time. Maybe sport is too demeaning and too, too negative a way to express their feelings, but they are disappointed in what they see in the country. And the first thing that they look to is those damn liberals and those people they're bringing in, forgetting, of course, that it was damn liberals who brought their people in, but no, this, this, is, this, is, this is different. Well, it always is. But 
this is different this time. They are taking our country apart. Well, that was being said, you know, with every immigrant group, uh, you know, from in 1892, once you opened up Ellis Island, I mean, that was the common saw that you heard constantly. But we needed these people to basically revitalize our country. We always have. But we know more. And we're smarter. We've been through a lot more. And we've been through wars. We've been through all kinds of... We've been through a civil war. We, we know all this stuff. And yet, we're willing to, for many people, basically give it up. Burn it down. Take it away. Simply because it's not working for me the way it should. That's, that's what I'm kind of wrestling with and hearing today. That's, that's, what I, that's what's going on. And I know what's going on in a large part of the country. And I know that I'm, I'm all sorts of pleased that Trump seems to be on the verge of indictment and, and it's not going fast enough and all these other things are going. But what was uh, the driving factor uh, in this election coming up, in the midterms coming up in a few weeks. It had been for a while there. It was Roe v. Wade. It had been the abortion rights issue. It, it had been uh, the entire notion of democracy in the balance. And over the course of a few weeks, invariably, uh, inflation uh, became the major thing. And you combine the notion of, and that's, that's natural for Americans, it's understandable. I mean, we, we've had false, we've had a false uh, uh, non-inflationary cycle. We've had a, uh, we've had a false uh, non-recessionary cycle going on for years and years. Both parties have gone ahead and, and just kept the cap on. Uh, and especially with COVID, trying to hold the cap, but it finally the cap blew off. The natural cycle of things is basically playing out once again. You're going to have recession, inflation. You know, you, you, it, it just happens. This is the way. This is the way democratic economies work. You are you are in a free market going to have the ups and downs of the market. Now we're having a long pent up down, which will be replaced with a up. But can it be replaced? also with a faith in America again for a lot of people who seem to be really disenchanted, not just with, you know, I'm not making enough money, but, but with the system at a fundamental level. How, how do we get people to basically embrace America? And what America is it that they will embrace? What, what is necessary? What must be, what do they have to see? What, what do they have to experience to get past the division that we have, the, the, this, this radical division we have in this country, unlike anything I've seen in my lifetime, and to give the people who are feeling the worst part of that, who feel on the outside, who are radicalized to the notion that the system doesn't work, how do you bring people back in? Because that's how you have a country. And I don't have a pat answer for that. I do know that it's not just finger-waving and saying, well, you should know better. I think it begins with listening to people's complaints and having a conversation that says, you know, 
I, I, don't, I don't see it as, as badly as you do. What do you see? What is wrong? Why do you basically want... What, what is it that you don't trust or like about the different institutions in this country? What's making you crazy? What, what is really wrong with America? And having that conversation... Now, if the answer is that, that Donald isn't president, no, well, then you're, you're talking to the wrong people. But you could possibly have a very reasonable conversation or at least learn something and give people an opportunity to express themselves. That, that's something we try to do here on Center Left Radio. Uh, in our Noble Hearts forums, you know that we, we try to have multiple points of view. I'm here on my own as a solo commentator this morning saying that I think we have to start, and everyone has an obligation to do this on uh, however you want to do it, we got to start breaking down barriers that we ourselves may be responsible for putting up at this point. And you can't just wait for, 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 for the Trumpians to, to start, you know, coming along and saying, hey, yeah, we'd like to talk about... No, you, you have to basically... You have to be willing to talk to people. That's... Isn't that funny? What it all comes down to is just human communication, compassion, understanding, giving somebody a, a, a vehicle, a license to express their own feelings, and maybe in the process of doing that, uh, giving them some insight and hearing themselves talk. And especially talking to people outside of a, an echo chamber that they've been living in. Ourselves, too. Some kind of communication across the vast divide that seems to be still dividing and growing vaster in this country. I, if it's down to just people people interacting with people i i if we can read if we can bring it to that and start from that point that we'll at least listen to one another and that means that we can't allow the people who who basically profit off keeping the divisions and the grievances alive um you know we can't let them rule the show when donald is indicted and convicted it can't just be a, a, a rallying and a victory cry. It, it, has to be, it has to be, okay, this is the moment for reunification. Let's talk about what Donald meant. Here's what he did wrong. Here's why that's not acceptable if we're going to have a country, not even if it's a country that has institutions that you're not crazy about, but if we're going to solve your problems, Trumpians, we can't do it simply by having one crook out there who's going to take advantage and who you're going to feel good about emotionally. How now, with him out of the picture, how, if government begins to work again, should we be making things better for everybody? Now, that may be three or four steps ahead of where a lot of Trumpians can go right now because the emotions are so hot and high. But we are going to get there. Once Donald is indicted, and he will be, and he will be convicted, and he'll be sentenced to something, we're going to be facing all this. We're facing it now. We're facing the beginnings of it. And yeah, 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 this is just the beginning. 
We're going to be facing a lot more. And we have to start thinking of what does it take to give us collectively a sense of hope. The stuff that nations are built on, the stuff that commonwealths are built on. How do we reinvigorate, if not the dream, the notion of America? We're going to have David with us in just a, a few moments, but I think this would be a very appropriate time for a little jazz. This is Richard Gazer. 
You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to center-left radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can on a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, $5, $10, $1,000, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident. And as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Central F Radio, thank you. And we're back. You're listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. It is a Friday. I'm Richard Gazer, and therefore, there must be, well, the guy that I'm talking to can't be, uh, which makes it very easy to say the following. David, what's on your mind? Um, there's a lot. Look, we're heading into a midterm. This is, this is basically like it. Uh, it we, have to, we have to hold the Senate and the House. Otherwise, like, it's really hard to see America functioning as a democracy at this point. So uh, if you want to hear more from me, generally you can find me on Twitter at Faces Ideas, but soon I'm going to be back streaming, so you can find me on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash freshfacesnewideas. Um, look, watching the debates, a lot of these things, it's very clear that these Republicans are not qualified in a lot of these places. I don't think anybody has run against more unqualified people than Raphael Warnock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is a testament to how little they care about their candidates that it is anywhere near close in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you attribute that to? I I don't know. It's a, been mostly a red state. They They don't they, you know, the, they don't, things, people are mad. Look, let, let's be very clear about this. Like, the idea that um, Joe Biden is solely, and the Democrats are solely responsible for global levels of inflation that we're dealing with. Well, that's ludicrous, is, of course. Is is wild. Yeah. The course. idea that uh, Raphael Warnock is some, uh, that Joe Biden is some super left wing is, is crazy. 
Um, but inflation appears to be going down. That's what some of the indicators look like. Um, gas prices are, are a combination of things. The president doesn't really have control over them. But with especially with the Saudis cutting um, oil uh, production, which, you know, the option is, okay, well, then the, the, the gas companies here have to change their pricing because they're making like stupid profits. Yeah. Well, there's no reason why they have to change their pricing at all. No reason. Right. Like the, the president had to meet with them and said, look, like you gotta, you gotta change your prices you, or we're going to start uh, coming after you legally for it, which they should be doing anyway. Yeah. Um, the other thing is like we're producing more natural gas or more and more oil than at any point in history. Yep. So it's not like we're not tapping into American energy. So exactly. this idea that like the Joe Biden administration is anti-gas or that they like, you know, there's some untapped well that we're just not doing. Like, where is it? This is this is the most frustrating part about all of this. The Republicans, even in the policies that they have produced, they run away from. There is no policy they have that will remove inflation. Currently, the most consistent policy we have is some combination of using the debt ceiling to cut Social Security which has come out from background meetings with them, has come out in their um, their commitment America, has come out in Ron Johnson or uh, Rick Scott's um, PowerPoint about what they want to do. They want to uh, end Medicare and Medicaid. They recently just came out with a, a national don't say gay bill because their whole thing is basically to, it, at the very least, hide LGBTQ people, but certainly to, to genocide transgender people. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They they don't have any policies for any like the things that are they like thank God they got saved by Amy Coney Barrett saying hey you have no standing on the student debt bill you imagine if we're going into the midterms in like three weeks and in the Supreme Court said Joe Biden's uh, uh, student debt relief was unconstitutional, and anyone who got the money has to give it back. Yeah, I mean, th- th- this this is the this is the crazy crap here. I mean, just f- from a legal perspective, you have a bunch of uh, of of uh, of citizens basically in Wisconsin who get together and just as a as a class action say, we don't like what Joe Biden just did. <laughs> But that isn't the equivalent of standing. There are a lot of things that I don't like that a lot of politicians do, but that doesn't mean that I have a right to go to court to go against something that any politician has done. You have to have something called standing. You, you, you have to be a, a, an integral party to the action. You have to have been personally injured by the action being taken, not just offended by it. And if the Supreme Court had allowed that to go forward, damn! I mean, it's be- obviously, obviously they have they, they have their they have their cultural biases uh, as far as you know Roe v. Wade and and everything else that's out there right now. But fortunately, uh, there seems to be a willingness to respect certain constitutional precedents, if not stare decisis, completely on their part. Thank God that that was just turned away. And, and like they've turned away a lot of stuff that, that has come from Donald Trump and his, and his and ilk, on, you know. And honestly, that should be in every single um, ad. They should be running them on, first off, the fact that they literally do not believe in democracy. The no, Federalists no, just no, no, came no. out with a paper basically saying, look, 
We have a transgender question. Conservatism isn't working. We basically need to be fascists now. Yeah, um, that, that, that's really that's really what it's coming down to. That's what it, there there is a distrust with the country generally and the institutions of the country that these people have, justifiable or not justifiable. I, I always go back to the change in the demographic and this sense that there's nowhere else for us to go. So we may as well, since we can't seem to fix it from the inside, we we have two choices. We can either we can either fix the elections permanently, and if that's not going to work, well then we're just basically going to undo this system of, of governance that we have right now, because we can't imagine not being whatever our fantasies or our grievances tell us we're supposed to be. That, that's a rough situation, man. And I, and I, I mean, do you see it otherwise? I'm just curious. No, they like, they don't believe they're very open about this. Um, it's, it is very frustrating that some of these people were pushed on the ballots uh, because it doesn't take a lot of them to break the system. No, um, no, it doesn't. Like, it doesn't. Like we, we want to believe that there was a lot of people who held in between uh, January 6th that stopped Donald Trump, and there really wasn't. Um, if they, if the election had been a little bit closer, if um, you know they had, if they had been able to find like some semi credible evidence, they they would have done it. Like it's not like it hasn't been done before. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not like this is this is like the the be all like yeah it's they do not believe in democracy they keep saying it and they don't like like let's be clear about this the the end goal for what would happen should they have power their their idea of policy is basically what Liz Trust tried yeah it it's it's essentially the exact policy positions that she tried and she lasted four Scaramucci's like. <laughs> That is the end goal for their financial policy. The, the culture war stuff is just way worse because they're just going to keep pushing and pushing till more and more people get hurt because they're just insane and they hate all of these people. You got literally have um, Laura Logan got thrown off of Newsmax for doing blood libel. We have uh, Tucker Carlson basically out here saying that uh, we have to keep the, the that Tiffany Cross is trying to do white genocide. Um, and that the white women are the future of the world and that future of the white race and that uh, people keep sleeping with them to stop that. Like, it is, it's only going to get worse. We have Ron DeSantis, we have videos now of the, the arrest from the, the fake uh, Ron DeSantis arrest for the, the election stuff where people were um, allowed to vote and then they weren't allowed to vote based on something from years ago and then they were uh, arrested for that even though they, they had been... Uh, the right to vote and it's just like it's insane yeah yeah it is it is and it, it, it's worse than anything that i've seen in my lifetime and i i in, in the earlier segment before before you came on just now david i i was talking about this and and sort of questioning why where would you start i mean yeah we we can we can all see where we are where do you start to undo this tension, where do you start to basically find whatever it is you need to, to end the madness? Because if we just keep letting it go the way it is, you, 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 it's not, it doesn't take, you don't have to be a genius to figure there's going to be an explosion of some sort here. Is there a way 
to, 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 to turn, to, to, to just basically turn this down, to basically, um, you know, ease this thing up. Can, can you um, imagine something yourself on that, on that level? It has to, um, in an effective way. So in reality, it has to be that the, it's the complete and total repudiation of the Republican Party as it currently stands. That's what would happen in a normal, healthy democracy. Um, and even then, it's not going to be done without, like, uh, some because they are. They're insane, and they prime their base to be insane. Um, but if you repudiate the Republicans, basically, aren't you just throwing more salt on the wounds for the people who were depending on them for the perpetuation of their own grievances? Is... I, I, I was saying this earlier in the show. Is, is there a way of, for us, people like us, to approach the people who are attracted to Trumpism directly? Is, is, that a, is, that a rational, is that a rational thought? Is that a reasonable proposition? Hey, let's us talk to them. Let's reach out. I mean, it, sure, you know, I'm, I'm just asking. It depends. Um, are you worried about economic issues? Yeah, it, there's a possibility to point out them. If you're doing it for the race baiting, for the, the trans baiting, for the uh, anti-Semitism, um, for the, the culture war issues, then no. The people no. who were bought into right-wing culture war issues are gone. They, they, they just are. And frankly, good riddance. Um, yeah. It, it, at this point, it is a grievance machine designed to hurt as many people as possible. There's no policy there to lift people up. Um, there was recently, John Oliver's last episode, he did it on trans rights. Um, and he was talking about, basically, like, one of the ways to talk about this is not just to talk about it as, um, oh, you know, the science points this. It's to point to the fact that these are kids and that they're actively being, like, the, the, the difference in their lives when they get the medical care that they want yeah. and that they need and the response to it from people like Matt Walsh is like, hey, you're still trying to medically castrate. You're trying to torture the small little boy. First of all, so for reference, he was talking about this um, this little girl in like Utah or something. I don't remember which state she was. She went to go and testify. She's like, look, I'm trans and this is, this is like I shouldn't have to be dealing with this. I'm 11. And Matt Walsh's response to this was like, this is a boy. I'm always going to consider this a boy. First off, that doesn't exist in reality. Secondly, it's really... I think that the Daily Wire and Matt Walsh particularly got off really well in that piece because John Oliver only touched on the fact that they helped lead a social media campaign that led to multiple bomb threats and death threats at multiple child's children's hospital. Like, this and, is and what's that are. supposed to help or solve? Yeah, yeah. This is like they are insane. They're people who are advocating that. Uh, that uh, John Durham actually did a good job, even though his his cases was nonsense. He didn't follow anything. He had no cases on any of these. It was just made up garbage. Yep. To follow grievances, and he got his ass kicked in every single case. Exactly. Yeah. So look, I, can we reach out to these people? Maybe, but let, let's let's be clear about what reaching out to them means. It doesn't mean I'm going to agree with the things you do. and doesn't mean we're going to meet in somewhere in the middle because I'm not going to uh, meet in the middle with somebody who thinks that because I'm Jewish, I control the media. 
or that or because of that or that the trans people need to be less in society yeah like this is or or that um white people are the most persecuted race like you those people like honestly they get fucked um they're they're destructive toward reality and them having platforms them having says and things hurts other people because that's their goal they don't actually care about making anyone's lives better they don't like even if you even if you exist on the premise that oh there's too many minorities and they're they're a danger there's no evidence of that um they're taking your jobs it's they're not the reason like you point you, you ask a, a a capitalist to, to explain what social what problems of socialism is and they'll point to capitalism like it is the the issues like you can look at a problem and then they'll come to the worst possible conclusion for what it is. It's um, just insane. The, the, the other thing that I've heard, and, and I've thought about this on a number of occasions, is a lot of the people who are expressing this and, and, out, and outwardly doing this are people that are always, there's always this, this, this underbelly in America. There's always this 25% of the country, 30% of the country that is certifiably a little crazy or more than a little. And they're there, but they've never ever been elevated into the sunlight. They've never been given such platforms. They've never been put in a position of authority. What we're seeing is not so much, um, uh, a, a new phenomenon uh, in the sense that people have never felt or thought this way before in America. But we're seeing a phenomenon where what happens when you elevate these people and their anger into a position of basically of, of legislation, of, of, of power, because uh, nothing less than the former president of the United States has, has basically encouraged that for his own personal good. We are, we're not seeing anything really new that wasn't in America already. It just was always under the rocks. Does that make sense, do you think? Yeah, no, it is. And also, like, it's hard to, um, to reach people who... Uh, don't want to exist in reality. Like, yeah, yeah, there was that's a yeah, debate yeah, yeah. for Oklahoma's governor and the Democrat in it before she finished her statement, which is objectively correct by every available measure. And this is this is actually worth talking about. When they talk about rising crime, the states that voted for Donald Trump have a forty percent higher crime rate than the states that voted for for Joe Biden. The top 10 states are red states when it comes in terms of violence. Oklahoma is twice as dangerous as New York City. And their argument could be, oh, well, there's liberal cities in, in Oklahoma. The two largest cities in Oklahoma are run by Republicans. Like, they, they, he was response was, no, you don't think that. That's not a real thing. Like, he was, like, pulling the crowd on it. It's not, you know, a thing that... Um, is infected with reality. Like, how do you deal? Like, there they um, the they just uh, approved the the COVID vaccine for children, and yeah. they're freaking out. They're like, "We told you they're coming for the children." It's like, yes, vaccines for children have existed essentially as long as we've required vaccines. Like, this is not a new thing. Um, 
you're still pushing. It's still three to four hundred people are dying a week from COVID. Yeah, like, it's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like what? And the numbers of this again, it is so like there was a. I don't remember who wrote this article recently. There was like, oh, there's a split in you know who's dying from COVID, and scientists are baffled. What do you mean you're baffled? Have you paid zero attention to literally anything that has been part of this discussion for the last three years? Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. they're they're a, they're a death cult that wants to control with a minority rule, and they want to make life as miserable for anyone who is not a rich white person as possible. <laughs> well, um, that is an easily drawable conclusion. Um, again, it's it's looking it's looking at the it's looking at the surface of the situation. Um, I, I kind of drift back to what we were just saying a moment ago about uh, these people being under the rocks and suddenly the light of day is on them and, and everybody is scampering and suddenly saying, oh, I have all this new power and look what I am, look what I can do. Um, I, one way or the other, it doesn't solve the reality of where we are right now. And that is in a, uh, a rather, you know, I, I think somewhat perilous situation trying to find a way uh, not to take this country down. Um, I, 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 I want to be hopeful. I want to imagine that, uh, that there are wiser heads out there that, that if, uh, you know, people uh, get themselves in position of power, you know, a secretary of state here or there, and suddenly the opportunity to change an election comes up and they won't just willy-nilly decide to do it and say, because I can, and it's the only way we'll maintain power if I don't uh, change the election results for this one or that one or something, uh, that people won't just do that reflexively because they can do it. Um, well, they've told us they would. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. Um, <laughs> thank you, David. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh boy. At some point you're going to have to believe them when they say these things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like to, I like to end things on a slightly higher, a higher note, but, uh, uh we, 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 why don't we, well, we're going to leave it at this. We're just basically to leave it at, uh, at what's in front of our faces and hopefully with the sense that we can at least on our side do something positive besides just being angry at the other side and just trying to keep doing the right thing and moving the country forward. That seems all to right, be... All right, we can... We can uh, here's a positive note. The, uh, all the, the left-wing liberal uh, socialist ideas, guess what, people? They're still going to help you. They're not going to just be for people who voted for Democrats. Exactly. If they're implemented, raising minimum wage, raising, uh, removing uh, marijuana from uh, being, decriminalizing marijuana, student debt relief, doesn't only help Democrats. It helps everybody. Yeah. Like, if you have, if you're, if you have Obamacare, you don't like Obama, how do you have Obamacare? It's because the policy didn't discriminate against you. You still got a better deal than you had before that. 
It's a good point, David. It's a damn good point. I, that, that is definitely the note on which <laughs> I, I want to end this show today. <laughs> David Bach, thank you for a, for a positive uh, outro possibility over here. Uh, could you tell people where they can uh, catch you uh, with more positive thoughts? Uh, Twitch.tv slash Fresh Faces New Ideas, probably in the coming month. And Twitter at Faces Ideas. Okay, and I, and I appreciate your being with us again today. And thank all of you for being part of today's show. Uh, this is absolutely the point at which <laughs> we need to sort of kick back, think about what we're saying over here. Think about, well, think positive thoughts. It is a Friday after all. And um, listen to a little more jazz. listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. It's a question. It's a conundrum. How do we begin to reheal this country? How do we bring it back? The people who want to take it apart say that they do want to take it apart. Do we imagine that they won't once they have the power to do so? Is that a reasonable situation? How do we deal? Is it a discussion situation? Or do we just keep moving forward with all our might?